0: Hello everyone, this is the fourth episode of Bible Beyond. Today we're going to be learning about peace with one another. The passage we're looking at is Philippians 4, 2-7, it goes, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers 2020 was a crazy year, and because of that, we found that it's very easy to become upset and angry at one another. It's easy to place blame and to argue when a situation doesn't play out as hoped. And in this passage, we find a similar situation. There are two people with a disagreement, and Paul writes to them explaining how to deal with it. All this and more on Bible Beyond. Eodia and Sintici are only mentioned once in the Bible by name, which is in this passage. And we aren't given much information about them at all. We don't know where they came from or what they were doing, we know virtually nothing about them. But that said, there are a few things that were told and that we should take note of before we start reading the rest of the passage. The first is that they were believers. There were followers of Christ and his teachings. And not only that, but they were also very involved in the early church. It says in verse 3, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Here we're told that they were some of the original church members and They actually assisted Paul on his mission of spreading the gospel. So that's the first thing we know. We know that they were Christian and that they were very involved in the early church. Following Christ wasn't something that they set aside. They didn't just observe the rest of their community. They were actively involved and participating in building the church. The second thing we know about them is that they were at odds with one another. They're arguing about something, and we know this because Paul asks them to agree in the Lord. Well, if they need to start agreeing, then they must not currently be agreeing. Therefore, they must be arguing. So they have something that they disagree about, and it must have been an important issue in the church because Paul heard about it while he was imprisoned in another nation. This is a big enough disruption in order for it to catch his attention to the point where he has to address it. There's something that they're arguing about, and Paul sees this as a big problem. Not as a small event that he can gloss over, but as an issue that he needs to address and deal with. He says in verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. He says that they need help, and not only do they need help in the form of a suggestion from Paul, but they also need help in the form of active intervention. That's why he's asking someone, maybe a pastor at the church, to intervene and to help these women sort out their differences. Again, this goes back to the point. Paul sees this as a serious problem. In fact, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, in chapter 2, verses uh, 23-24, through he goes, "...have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies." You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. I love how Paul doesn't even mention what the arguments they're having is. He cares so little about their quarrel that he doesn't even address it. He doesn't explain who's right and who's wrong. He doesn't advocate for a certain side of the matter. And he doesn't take one side against another. And that's because whatever they're fighting about isn't that important. Whatever they're fighting about isn't as important compared to the fact that they're fighting. Remember, he he, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Why? Because they bring quarrels. And in order for a quarrel to take place, there must be two opposing sides. Think about it. If there were only one side, then everyone would agree, and then there's nothing to fight about. So, this infighting, these quarrels, bring division. And division is always destructive. Abraham Lincoln said in a speech one time a house divided against itself cannot stand. And this is especially true for the church. Jesus warned against division in Luke 11, 17, uh, where he says, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. That's why Paul doesn't care about what they're bickering about. Because the result of their controversy, whatever it may be, is destructive, and it will lead to their downfall. So those are the two things that we know about these women. They were Christian, and they were arguing. Now, what the combination of those two facts does is really destroy the idea that Christians are perfect. We're luckily saved by grace through Jesus' death on the cross, but we're by no means perfect. We all have struggles and issues and things that we constantly fail at doing, and we need to be saved from those struggles. So, in light of this, Paul gives us a solution. And the rest of the passage, I believe, is all directed at the purpose of fixing their dispute. It's very easy for us to read verses 4-7, through which starts off with, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. And then take away from that that we're supposed to rejoice and be reasonable, just because I suppose that's typically a good thing to be, but... Here, there is a different purpose for rejoicing and being reasonable and all these other commands that Paul gives us. And that is so we can be peaceful with one another, that we can get along with one another and not suffer from this division. So that's the reason for the rest of the passage. And everything else which Paul commands us to do and how to do it is all for this purpose of peace with one another. There are five things which Paul commands us to do in this passage, all with a common theme. The first is to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, when he says that we should rejoice, he really doesn't add any explanation. The only expansion that we receive is when he repeats what he just said, that we're supposed to rejoice now, the definition of rejoice is to feel great joy or delight. And what does he tell us to find joy in? He tells us to find joy in God. And like most things in the Bible, this is a great idea. This is something that we should always be doing. And this concept of rejoicing is very widespread in the Bible. Psalm 511 says, But let all who take refuge in you Rejoice, let them sing for joy, and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt you. Psalm 118 verse 24 goes, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it's only two words which literally says, Rejoice always. This theme of rejoicing is very common in the Bible, and this is because it's a central part of the gospel. As we explained in our very first episode, the reason why we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord is because of what the Lord has done, and because of who the Lord is. We're supposed to delight in what he has done for us. He died on a cross so that we could be reunited with God, and the result of this promise should be peace and joy because we're no longer faced with the frightening prospect of having to live without god oftentimes when someone is in a stressful situation they tend to become agitated and angry because they're faced with the possibility of a negative outcome now what happens if the situation resolves itself chances are that the person's level of stress and frustration are going to decrease because they no longer have something that they need to worry about. That's the same type of dynamic that we experience spiritually. When we're faced with the prospect of death, we should be very concerned because we know that we'll eventually die and then we'll be eternally separated from God and everything good in the world. But also, we tend to worry that we're not making the most out of our lives While we are alive. If you think about it, the fear of death also makes us afraid that we won't make the most out of our lives before our time to enjoy life ends. And not only does this lead to us being afraid of death, it leads to us being afraid of life. Imagine how stressful that should be. But with Jesus and through his death on the cross, we're now relieved of this burden and we're given a reason to rejoice. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This is why Paul tells us to rejoice, because why not? If we've been forgiven of our sins and our punishment is no longer valid, then why wouldn't we rejoice? Not only is it what Paul commands us to do, but It really is the obvious thing to do. There's no reason why we shouldn't be filled with peace if we believe and remember what God has done for us. So that's the first thing which he commands us to do. He tells us to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. Then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, the word reasonableness, which is used here, may be a little confusing because it may make people think of wisdom or something along those lines, due to the fact that it uses the kind of prefix reason. Reason sounds to us like making a good decision. You may use your reasoning abilities to decide what your best option is. But most Bible translations actually use the word gentleness or moderation instead. And this makes sense in the context of Edodia and Syntyche's disagreement. It would make sense for Paul to want them to be gentler towards one another, or to be more moderate so that they can see both sides of the issue. Either of these would make sense because moderation and gentleness are both qualities that may help resolve the issue. However, I like that the ESV uses the word reasonableness. While I don't know if reasonableness uh, has the same meaning that Paul originally intended for it to have, I think that it's a good way of explaining how Christians are supposed to treat one another. Because if you believe in Christ and the message of the gospel, then your definition of reasonableness should be much different than that of the rest of the world. If you believe that once you die, life as you know it is over, if you believe that there's not a God, or even worse, if you believe that there's a God who doesn't love you, then your definition of reasonableness will be drastically different than if you believe in Jesus. And you'll live your life much differently too because you're operating under different parameters. A good example of this is work. If you don't believe that there's a God, and this life is all that you have, then you're going to want to make the most out of your limited life. You may try to pursue the most success or money that you can before you die, but again, this is dependent on the assumption that there is no greater God which you could serve. If that's the case, that there is a God, then the way you work will be much different. Colossians three twenty-three through 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. If we assume that the Bible is true, then our work and the way that we work should look much different. If we're working for God, then we'll work a lot harder. Imagine if at the end of each day you went up to heaven and gave God Almighty a report of what you accomplished with the day he gave you. I know it sounds crazy, but that's essentially what we're told to do in Colossians 3:23. And I bet that we would all work much more diligently if we had to report to God. Compare that to if we were only in it for our personal gain. In that case, if we only need to work to satisfy ourselves, then the way we work is different. And it's the same type of scenario that we see in Philippians 4-5. So let's take the approach that a Christian would have about work and apply it to how we treat each other. If we live with self-centered intentions, then the way we treat our friends is different than if we approach them with love and respect. First John four nineteen says, We love because he first loved us. This is a short verse, but it's one that I'm very fond of because it really shows where our own capacity to love originates from. If we can only truly love one another because we were first loved by God, then being reasonable as a Christian must take into account that truth. And therefore, we'll automatically act with love and compassion towards one another. So that's what he means when he instructs us to be reasonable. When he tells us to be reasonable, our reasoning process must take into account God's love for us, which will lead to being gracious and moderate in whatever we do. Not only that, but we're told to be reasonable to the extent that others notice it. Now there are two ways that others can notice our reasonableness. One is because we're so loving and kind to one another that it becomes easy for others to notice the difference in the way we act. The other is that we promote ourselves so that we become noticed by others. Jesus strongly discourages the latter. He's strongly opposed to his followers showing off their own goodness just so that they can be noticed. In Matthew six two. Jesus explains how exactly he wants everyone to approach giving in generosity, and the principle is very similar. Matthew 6, two says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. He makes it very clear that Our good actions should not originate from the desire to be noticed by others. In fact, he doesn't seem to think that this kind of giving is worth anything, because he says that they've already received their reward. That reward is the recognition that they received when they made and promoted their actions to others. In other words, this kind of giving isn't worth anything. And this is also true with how we treat others. When we're polite to one another, it shouldn't be because we want to be noticed for it. It should be that that we were so gracious and so kind that other people just so happen to see it. And the last piece of information that he gives us is why we should be reasonable. He writes that the Lord is at hand. And this means that because God is coming soon, we should act like he may come to give us our reward at any time. If we're being reasonable, and more importantly, we're being reasonable with the intent to serve him, then we'll receive a great reward. Remember Colossians 3.24 says that if we serve the Lord, then from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So that's the second part of the commandment that we're given by Paul to follow. We're supposed to rejoice and we must be reasonable. Philippians 4 6 is the third command we're given. It says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, from my point of view, anxiousness has sadly become accepted in our culture. Nobody likes to be worried and stressed, but it sort of becomes something that we view as unavoidable. Like, it's a part of life that we just have to deal with. However, in the Bible, being worried not only is something that God didn't originally intend to even exist, but it's also considered a sin. We know this because Paul literally just told us not to be anxious. But also, we know that it's sinful because in order to worry about something, you have to doubt God's power, at least a little bit. First Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. In today's world, you've probably heard someone say to you or someone else, just don't worry about it. And this is typically treated as more of a suggestion than an actual command really because we don't have much control over our level of anxiety. It's not like there's a lever that we can press that will change our level of stress to however we would like it. If that were true, then our world would be a lot less worried. So because we may not have much control over our level of anxiety, we may just choose to try and live with it. And if that's the case, that we have no control over what we worry about, then you may think, well, it seems awfully harsh for us to be judged as if it is a sin. After all, there's nothing we can do about it. In reality, though, it's actually because it's a sin that we can conquer it. Because it's a sin, God has provided us with a way to deal with it. What is that way? Well, our passage says not to worry, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer isn't that complicated. It's simply an ongoing conversation between you and God. It's literally just talking to God. Now talking is something that we do all the time. We talk to each other on a daily basis, and it's something that requires at least two parties. Now at any time during the conversation, one person is the listener and one is the speaker. During the conversation, those two roles are constantly exchanged, and information is spread between two parties, right? Again, conversation is something that's very simple, and a lot of the time it just comes naturally to us. The only difference with prayer is that we're instead talking to God, and this leads to a few things that Paul tells us we should do when we pray. First, he tells us to pray about everything. The Bible says we're supposed to pray about everything, and that we should be continuously praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we should pray without ceasing. We're supposed to always be praying and staying in touch with God. And when we pray, we should do three things. First, we should give thanks for what we do have. Secondly, we should ask for what we We don't have. And when we do pray, thirdly, we must do it with supplication. Supplication means the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Now, if you think about it, this is something that is really important for prayer. It's really hard to pray without being humble, because humbleness is just realizing that God is greater than yourself. Imagine how hard it would be to ask for something if you believe you're greater than God. That would be hard to do. In fact, it would really be unreasonable. If you believe that you have more power than someone else, then why would you ask for them to help you? If you can't solve the problem, then how can you expect someone inferior than you to fix it? That's why realizing how great God is compared to ourselves is crucial to even being capable to truly ask something. 1 Peter one six says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. But he can't do that if we're too busy trying to exalt ourselves. So when we pray, we're supposed to come to him humbly. And once we're humble we're then capable of asking God for what we need. Whatever it is that you find yourself in need of, whether it be healing or rescue from unfortunate circumstances, or even salvation and forgiveness, we have the privilege of asking God for whatever it is that we may need. Matthew 7, 7 7-8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks received, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is one of the greatest privileges that a Christian has the ability to ask God for what we need. So, how does the ability to ask God for things bring us peace with one another? Well, this may actually be the most helpful piece of advice that Paul gives us. When we have problems or tough circumstances, we're more prone to argue. Just look at 2020. There's been so much that has went wrong. With the pandemic, economic trouble, and wildfires, there's a greater opportunity to become frustrated with one another. If we can release all those worries by letting God have control of the situation, then there's less of a reason to fight. That's why... Asking God for assistance is so important. But there's one other thing that he tells us to do. Along with requesting things from God, we're also supposed to thank God. And just like supplication, this is a necessary step in prayer. Because when God does something to help us, it only retains its value if we remember it. If we remember and thank God for his generosity and graciousness, That we experienced in the past, then we'll understand and grow closer to God. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 4 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And if we do all these things, if we rejoice in the Lord, if we're reasonable, if we only ask for what we need, then Paul writes, "And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus." 2020 was a crazy year and it was very challenging for many people. But if we implement the tips that Paul gives us to resist bickering, I'm hopeful that we can remain peaceful with one another as we enter into 2021. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, as we head into the next year of 2021, please let us remember to be reasonable and rejoice and remember the great privilege we have of being able to pray to you. Please help us learn how to take advantage of these things that you've given us so that we can stop fighting and stray away from the destruction that division causes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been the fourth episode of Bible Beyond. A huge thank you to my grandfather for creating the music you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, check back with us on the first of every month when we'll have a new episode up and ready. For now, have a great day.